Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And tonight we're going to get real uh, talking about timber, uh, timber industry. But honestly, this isn't as much a timber industry story as it is a story about your future if you're an Oregonian. Because it's really easy to put this on, oh, the timber industry, the timber industry. But the timber industry directly impacts so many jobs in Oregon and so many people and probably you, even if you work in the in the a different sector of the economy, um, resource based economy is Oregon, and so many things center around that. And we got some good news. There's a little time. Something's going on. I've got somebody coming on to talk about that. <clears throat> and you need to be informed on these things because this is how. Um, uh, how what's the word I am looking for? This is how agendas get made is when Oregonians aren't paying attention and then stuff starts happening and it's almost too late by the time you find out. Well, it's not too late on the issue we're going to talk about. These are your forests. If you live in the state of Oregon, this, we're talking about your forest land and they're talking, them, we'll explain that in a minute, about locking up a whole bunch of it which is going to cost jobs. It's going to make housing more expensive and it's going to really impact the state of Oregon. But we have a little window of time and we're going to talk about that with a guest in just a second. Uh, but first, I want to thank our sponsors tonight, Chris Dental Family Dentistry and Eugene. Uh, they're also a denture center now. So if you need partials, full dentures, the whole bit, they can take care of you. Crowns, your dental work, your regular hygiene stuff, if you sponsor our sponsors, that helps us and that helps them. <clears throat> this content doesn't come for free. I have to work. I'm a working Montanan um, slash former Oregonian. So we do need to do that. Um, also, JDEV Enterprises. And you guys, I'm going to show you something. We're talking about housing. We're a lack of housing. We need housing. Well, JDEV Enterprise or, um, Investments, excuse me. They just took the old Super 8 motel down in Cresswell and renovated it. They're still in the process, and they have a bunch of studio apartments in there with kitchens, full-size refrigerators, really nice little places. Now, they are small. They're just studios right now. They do have some two-bedroom ones coming up soon. Um, but these are available to rent right now. And to rent those, all you have to do is I'm going to put the number up here. Go to northwoodspm.com. And that is right in your uh, in the comment section right there on the screen. That's how you get a hold of them. They can tell you how much it is and all that. And you'll understand our other sponsors, Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities. Love these people. They work with people in our community with disabilities or what I like to call different abilities. Um, they're always looking for help, looking for people to, that want to change their lives. We're looking for people who want to have a job that when you go home at night, you understand that you've really made an impact in someone's lives. And we're going to be hearing from uh, Mary Thompson at the end of the show. I have a little brief message from her that will play after all of that. Okay, let's get right to the topic. This is, I love this name because it describes both Jennifer and me, Henri, <laughs> the Oregon Natural Resources Industries. Yes, that's right. So why don't we start? So this is Jen. Uh, Hammaker, and she's the you're you're kind of the head cheese of that organization, right? I am right now. I am the president of Oregon Natural Resource Industries. Uh, we, we go by Henri because we do, uh, in fact, get a little Henri. 
at times. And that's what I like about you. Uh, <laughs> one of the things. So tell people what is, before we get started on this topic, um, to tell people what it is that Henri does. Henri is a 501c6. We're a nonprofit. Uh, we're a volunteer board. And we, uh, our mission is to protect, defend, educate, and support natural resource industry jobs, communities, businesses, uh, and families. And, uh, and we do. Um, right now, we're in a long session. Uh, so we're peeling apart uh, bills and trying to get out information that's easily uh, understandable to people so they're aware of what's going on. Um, we talk and, uh, all the time with legislators. Uh, we're not lobbyists uh, for any industry. We're the we're, we consider ourselves kind of lobbyists for the people. Um, and we don't get paid for doing it. <laughs> we do it because we want to, because it's important. And there's some things that are um, happening in Oregon that are going to really hurt a lot of people. So, yeah, yeah I was going to say, I, I, you guys really are, you, if you're not a lobbying group, but if you were, you really are lobbying for the people of Oregon. Exactly. And, and it's not just timber that you're working in, because this is agriculture. This is everywhere from cranberry farmers down in, in Bandon, Oregon, to grass seed growers in Albany, to potato farmers over in um, Hermiston. I mean, you're representing anybody that's in ag. Do you think people in Oregon understand how much of the state centers around farming, agriculture, whether it's farming trees or potatoes or whatever? Yeah, no, I don't. So there's, there's a couple uh, things that, that Oregonians I don't think are aware of. First of all, Oregon is the number one softwood producer in our country, which means lumber. Oregon is the number one lumber producer in our country. We are also the number one plywood uh, producer in our country. We are also the number one uh, cross-laminated uh, timber uh, in our country. We have the biggest dairy in the United States and out in Boardland. Um, yeah. I think 100 and 160,000 gallons is produced in Boardman every day <laughs> and they ship it over to Tillamook to make cheese. Um, our ag industry uh, contributes over $8 billion a year uh, to our economy. Um, the sports fishing industry contributes uh, over $1.7 billion a year to our economy. Uh, we are a natural resource state. And, and you're always in battle with the environmental community. Um, I know that this act is called the conservation, but I think they're ripping that off. Um, it's the, it, it, it's preservation. You, yeah, preservation. So yeah. tell me, tell people, um, you want to start this conversation. So tell people what's going on with uh, the, Elliott Nash, or the Elliott State Forest. So the Elliott State Forest was, is the first... Uh, state forest. Uh, back in 1859, when we became a state, uh, the federal government gave us, uh, well, traded us for little parcels all over the state and gave us um, the Elliott State Forest. They they gave us that forest for, uh, they coupled it with the common school fund so that the harvest revenue from that forest went into the common school fund so that we can fund our schools in Oregon. How many uh, acres is it? 80,000. Okay. Actually, the Elliott actually is 90,000 acres, but 80,000 acres got put into an HCP. Okay. 
which devalued it to the point right now. So when it when it got uh, when it was given to us, I think we were at 60 million board feet. Right now we're over, I think, 800 billion board feet on that on that land. Um, and the reason why is because they put an HCP on it. Now tell uh, people what that is. An HCP is a habitat conservation plan. It uh, locks up forests and it's on a federal level. And it is, uh, it's a, environmentalists really like it because they can continue using the spotted owl, the coho, the red tree vole, all of these different um, animals that are on the ESA, the endangered species list. Sorry, somebody's phone's ringing in the background. It's okay. But uh, so they use these animals. Most of them should be delisted. Um, the red tree vole, the coho salmon, especially in the Tillamook and Coos counties, um, we're at a we're at historic abundance levels right now. So that's a benchmark for them to start delisting it. But they haven't done that yet. It is in the works though. Um, and then the red tree vole, that is a huge story. Uh, it has a lot of history to it. But basically, it's going to be delisted at some point also, um, the spotted owl, the spotted owl's uh, uh, population keeps reducing, but it's not because of the lack of critical habitat. It's be their two biggest threats to the spotted owl is wildfire and the barred owl. Right, and the barred owl was really causing the big problem that when this all surfaced back in the 90s. And the other thing, the point I wanna make, cause I know you know this probably too, but um, this, a lot of the spotted owl habitat up along the McKenzie River that was protected um, for spotted owl habitat burned to the ground because of our lack of forest management of fire. And so we actually, they actually destroyed, their rules destroyed the habitat that they were trying to protect. That's exactly I mean, my God, this is absolutely insane. Yes, no, it absolutely is. And it goes so much farther than that too. <clears throat> With the coho salmon, they say that, you know, right now uh, in certain areas, they could delist it in certain areas. Um, but they are saying that because there is a high fire risk around these waterways, because they put riparian buffers on them, um, huge riparian buffers on them, which means unmanaged timberland, which means like snags and grass and dry so, stuff. And which, which means kindling. Right. Which means lightning to strike and hit it and start a fire That's on right. the riparian zone that we're trying to have to protect the fish. It's a, it's a self-licking ice cream cone. It perpetuates the same results and keeps a lot of people employed. And it's not employing them in the timber industry. No, it's, so, it's, it's, the, it's the environmentalists that keep on using the system uh, and, and they keep on winning lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, and they keep on getting all this money because the state has to pay them or whoever's, you know, it, it's a self-licking ice cream cone, and we need to stop it. You know, Jen, there is a bill in Montana, and I'm not going to speak eloquently on this because I'm not that informed, but you just made me think of this. And it has to do with somebody has written a bill about in terms of uh, wildlife and hunting. And it would stop them. So they would have to put down a $500,000 bond in order to make a lawsuit against someone. And the whole idea is to stop these groups from just holding everything up because they can file a lawsuit for very little dollars. And if you had to put down a $500,000 bond, you're going to think twice about just getting out there and doing that. 
so actually I read that bill and you're absolutely right. And it, and it actually goes up to a million dollars once it has hit the court system that they, that they can go up to. Um, and I love that bill. I think that I do it, too. I think it's necessary because really we've been held hostage in the state of Oregon. Um, lawsuit after lawsuit, every whisper of any kind of timber bid or t- timber sale, they're jumping down our throats and we've already gone through the process. And you have to understand something about the timber industry. We only harvest on 60, 70 year rotations. So literally, so I'm 50 years old. Literally, we are planning uh, harvest in 60 years from now. I'll be 110 or dead. Uh, so we, 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 the reason why we do that is because we let the trees grow and mature. And then, you know, it's, it's the least amount of environmental impact. Um, and the, and the forests are, are healthier by doing it that way. Uh, the, the soil, the dirt, everything is healthier than doing it that way. And if you can imagine anything over 80, 90, hundred years old in the forest, it becomes this canopy, right? This, but this gigantic, huge, thick canopy is fighting for that uh, sunlight and none of it gets down to the ground, which means it's a desert on the ground and their wildlife doesn't go there. They, they don't have anything to eat. They might travel through it, but they don't go there to eat and raise their young. Uh, so there's a lot of misconceptions out there about how we treat our forests. And we are the true stewards of our forests, our, our sea and our soil. Uh, we know what we're doing. So, so tell, let's get back to the Elliot. So, so Governor Brown, what did Governor Brown do with the Elliot? So it's, it's, it's actually just so everyone there from Oregon, I want you to really understand this. This is your forest. I mean, it's an Oregon state forest, but your former governor gave it away. Well, she gave it away and had the taxpayers buy it again. It was already ours. Oh, that's a great idea. So I own a forest as a state with all my brothers and sisters in Oregon. My governor then has me sell it back, uses, sell it back to myself. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it's, I hope I paid. I hope I got a great deal on that. You got the best deal going. So there it, the Elliot is literally worth well over a billion dollars. It could probably be worth $3 billion, but because the natural resources that sit on the Elliot are worthless, they're worth less because you can't use them. They're locked up. There's not a huckleberry that can be harvested off of that land. So the natural resources are worth less. So the land, the value is worth less. So they did an appraisal on it and the appraisal said it was worth $96 million. Um, And then they added some fluff to it and they sold it back to us for $221 million, 96 million, $221 million is what they sold it back to the Oregon taxpayers for. And the reason why they did that is because they had to, uh, decouple it from the common school fund. Okay. So we had to pay Kate Brown, uh, Tobias Reed, who's the treasurer and Shamia Fagan had to, uh, they're the trust land. Um, they're the DSL, which is the, which is the, uh, state trust land. Okay. Um, trustees, and they had to decouple it from the common school fund, but they had to pay some value to the common school fund. And that's why they bought it back. And then and then they gave it to OSU to manage as the largest, actually the world's largest 
research forest. And you know what they're going to be researching on that forest? Tell me. Wildfire. Wildfire. Yep. Oh, <clears throat> huh. Like there's no other place in the world you could you could look at wildfire when here's something you can't even touch. Yeah. So, so Jen, there, but there's been a positive move. So tell people kind of, cause you follow, I mean, you're kind of what I would call like a, 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 re, a natural resources nerd. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you go into these numbers and you, you follow these people like, like stink on poop. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so tell people what has, so that's already locked in, but, but there's some good news cause some, some movement has happened or some stalling. Well, I'm so I'm going to broaden the picture a little bit. So the, okay. the Elliot is only 80,000 uh, acres. Okay. Um, and, and that whole thing is a travesty. It's, it's, it's terrible what's happened to the Elliot. But the Board of Forestry got a directive from Cape Brown. And that directive said that they wanted to increase the conservation on our state lands. So the Board of Forestry directed the Department of Forestry, ODF, to prepare and create an HCP, a Habitat Conservation Plan for our state lands. So just so you can put this in perspective, uh, ODF manages about 940,000 acres of timberland. Okay. The Oregon okay. Department of Forestry. Yes, OD okay. yes. Oregon Department of Forestry uh, manages 940,000 acres, 920,000 acres of, of uh, state land, state timberland. This HCP is going to impact 640,000 acres, which is two thirds of our, our of our entire state acreage of timberland. And it's why is that important? Because uh, because if you're not a timber, like like a Seneca or somebody like that would own the their own timberland. Private. But there's a lot of timber companies that don't, and they have to buy state timber. That's right. That's right. So. Uh, back when the spotted owl happened in the 1990s, uh, we were harvesting before that federal timberland. Uh, but then in the 1990s, the spotted owl happened and they closed down 90% of our of the federal forest to any kind of harvest whatsoever. Um, still today, it's at that same level. Um, and so the state timberland is really where we can go to get, uh, you know, timber um, and make that into lumber. And it's the only place that a lot of mills can go to get that wood yes exactly so, so you take out two-thirds like close to a million acres six hundred and forty thousand will be restricted under this new plan this conservation plan which we know means that nothing's going to happen basically so you've got that little piece for all these lumber companies to fight over right right which makes uh so the restriction is the thing that's really scary is that this is a 70 year plan. Let that sink in because I have a 24 year old daughter. If she was to have a kid right now, her great grandkids would still be dealing with this HCP 70 years. So how can they just do that without Oregonians knowing about it or, or approving it? I mean, just because Kate Brown wants something doesn't mean that it needs to happen. I mean, and, and how can one person with her lobbying groups and, and, you know, support uh, push something like this through? Because, you know, it, it, what bugs the hell out of me is Brown and her, you know, her followers are, are pushing all the time for affordable housing. 
Can, can anyone in the audience explain to me? And, and my trolls, please come on board. I'd yes. love to hear your comments. How is that sponsor? How is that helping to create affordable housing when you're knocking out two thirds of the acreage available for timber companies? What? Let's see if I had a mathematical mind, which I don't, but let's I, I'm pretty basic in my math. But wouldn't that probably increase the cost of all of that stuff because it's going to cost more to produce it? Yep. I mean, then you cannot tell me as a leader in this state and that state that that you're you're trying to make housing more affordable when you're creating rules that make the basic product of housing unattainable. That's right. So these are what I consider feel good politics and they conflict with reality. Yeah. And, and, so, and the other thing that's really bad about this HCP, this <clears throat> habitat conservation plan on our state lands is that. It will impact, uh, so there's eight, I think there's eight counties that are impacted by this HCP. It's mostly on the uh, west side of um, the coastal range, okay? Okay. So Astoria, uh, it's up Clatsop County, uh, Coos County, down into, uh, there's some in Douglas County, there's some in Lane County, there's some in Benton County, there's some in Lynn County, but the majority of it is up in uh, Tillamook, right. Uh, Tillamook and Clatsop and Coos County. So up along most of it's that's that would be Coos County along the coast and Clatsop and uh, and uh, Tillamook up on the north coast. Yes, yes, but it's all of their land. <laughs> right. I mean, so there's little parts in other counties and stuff like that, which will hurt those counties also. But these three counties, actually, there's four counties that are really impacted by this, um, to the point where they're going to be losing up to. I think 50 to 70% of their tax revenue. So right now we have an inflated, you know, we're dealing with inflation. We're dealing with social services. Uh, those counties provide, you know, fire, medic, uh, schools, libraries, all this kind of stuff, right? All of these uh, social services and then all of the stuff that we need to uh, have a community. With 70% of your, of your tax revenue gone, with 50% of your tax revenue gone for 70 years. Yeah. What is that going to do? Well, remember, this is what happened when the spotted owl was listed in 1990s is places like where I live, Lane County. Um, we got money from what were called Oregon and California railroad lands. And that was money that went directly to schools. And none of these people who were all, Oh, the poor owl feeling all bad about this. None of them thought about the fact that you're taking out a huge chunk of money from your schools. And then they wonder why here we are, what, 30 years later or something. Um, and our schools are numbered like 38th in the country for, you know, for, for education report cards, people, good God, wake up. There's a cost. It, I, I know it makes your heart pitter patter when you think that we can just have all these trees. This is a, this is an agricultural crop. And and we need it to provide not only good habitat for animals and recreation for Oregonians and visitors. And yeah. But to, but to protect our water. But yep. we need we, we we need to be be managing it so that we're not burning it all down in forest fires, too. So you said there's a there's a, a bright spot. What happened in this HTC that is a is a, a happy moment for us? Because I don't see a whole lot of them. I know we don't either. And uh, really, we watched the Board of Forestry pivot last Wednesday um, on the 15th of February. You can go on the uh, ODF's uh, YouTube channel and watch it. 
it's a two-hour discussion. Anyways, what happened was uh, there was so much public concern around this HCP that um, the Board of Forestry is required by law to, hi uh, to hold public hearings once every quarter. So March 9th was supposed to be their um, quarterly public meeting. Well, they decided that there was too much on the agenda. This is their excuse. There's too much on their agenda. So they decided to hold a, an emergency meeting oh. we had five days in advance to know about this. And it was not a public meeting, but it was going to be broadcast to the public live. Um, we were allowed that, to that, that helps with public comments because uh, public comments just get in the way of a really good hearing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, we're so uh, distracting. <laughs> so the reason why the reason why there was so much public outcry right now was because um, there was a projection that came out through a third party, not through ODF, not through the Oregon Department of Forestry, which is responsible for the HCP. All right. It came out through a third party that was hired by a third party to um, do, to actually go in there and do the projections. It was a consulting firm. So wait, so wait, wait, wait. So the Oregon Department of Forestry does its projections. Right. So what happened was some timber related groups went in, did their, had a private entity do another look at that. And what did they find? They found that it was actually another 34% reduction under what they had projected originally. So ODF and W says it's going to be X amount of dollars. This private agency comes in, looks and says, you're, you're off. It's 30% more out yeah. of the economy and, and that's going to hurt Oregon than you predicted. So now what happens? So now what happens is a lot of people got together and went, holy cow. Uh, or something. Yeah, we're really holy. going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so uh, the Board of Forestry decided to hold a meeting. And uh, in that meeting, uh, there was a board member that made a motion to direct ODF to prepare a second HCP with the harvest levels increased instead of the way that they are now and uh, and to move forward with that with that HCP instead of going down the path with this current HCP. This is the first time that we've seen them backtrack a little bit. This is the first time we've seen them recoil and give concern. Um, uh, Jim <clears throat> who is the chair of the Board of Forestry, started the meeting out by saying, we don't want timber wars. We don't want this to cause timber wars. And it looks like it's going to. We All of our inboxes are filled up. Our personal Good. inboxes are filled up. Our Department of Forestry, uh, the Board of Forestry mailboxes are filled up. There's a lot of public concern on this. That's why we've done this. Now, if you were to ask me, okay. the reason okay. why the reason why they held this, this emergency special <clears> meeting <throat> was because they could take this off the agenda on March 9th, which means that if we were to show up on March 9th, some groups might've been wanting to show up on March 9th so that their stories, so that their voices, so that their faces could be there in person so that these people that are impacting our lives could actually hear us and see us, that they're taking that off the agenda so that there's not gonna be any public comment on this. And instead, they held a special meeting where there's public comment allowed, but only via email. And they have a, a live broadcast of their discussion. And then they go away for their executive meeting, which the screen goes black for half an hour, and then they come back. 
there's no need for that. So this whole thing is just, it just stinks to high heaven. Uh, they say there's no conspiracy going on behind closed doors, but what they've also done is they've taken the current HCP and the EIS, which is the environmental impact statement that goes along. It, it You have to have a plan. And that plan is is uh, all the projections, all the numbers, all, all tax districts, all that kind of stuff is in this EIS. By the way, the HCP is 1,800 pages long. Oh, so it's really easy reading for the general public. Right. And the EIS is just about as long. <clears throat> well, that's why we have you. That's right. Because you do read it. And I, that's, why, that's why I called you that's a right. natural resources nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so this is going to be now... It looks like they're going to go back and, and the timber industry will get more uh, timber. I So they, they they did not pass it. They did not pass that motion. So four people um, okay. said no and three people said yes. Um, I really loved watching that meeting because it gave me hope. Because at least four people on that board were saying, wait a <clears> second, <throat> these harvest levels are extremely reduced than what we thought they were going to be. Um, this is really going to impact rural Oregon, especially those three counties up there. It's going to devastate them. Little towns like Jewel and Elsine's gone, yeah, yeah, gone, gone. Yeah. Their schools gone. Okay, so it it really is going to impact people. And and you brought up a very good point, um, Kate Brown, Tina Kotek. They're really fighting this this homeless uh, situation, which is great. I have nothing against them fighting it or trying to do something about it. But the thing is, is that what do we build homes with? What do we build apartments with? What do we build? Well, well, Jen, you could, you could use steel because when you use steel, it's much more impacting for climate change. Oh, wait, that's right. We believe that we need to protect climate change. So we can't use steel because it's timber actually stores carbon. Right. So when you build someone's home, they're actually part of the solution because they're storing carbon in their house. And when you build it out of steel, you're causing more problems. Dang, that doesn't work. So now what do we do? That's right. Hypoc it's hypocrisy to the utmost, to you the know? And, and, and what's really interesting is I think, as I read somewhere, one of those counties up in North, I, can't, I think it was Columbia, has one of the highest homeless rates in the entire state of Oregon. Yes. I don't I, I don't know for sure, but I think it was Columbia County. And they're one of the counties that is not getting any of the Kotec money for homelessness. So now you also put them out of work and cause more homeless problems, yep. but you're not giving the county with the most homeless people and putting them out of work any money for homelessness. Wow. Yeah. No, it's I know it's hypocrisy, but but Rick, the thing is, is that they've done this in the past with the COVID funds. They've done this in the past with anything and everything that they get, you know, that they secure the money, and then they go, oh, we're going to try to do this, the I five corridor, Portland, that whole area. Right. That's where their money goes because that's where their base is. Right. You know. So, I, so tell me this. So how um, how can the public help? Oh, because God. because I think what you're right is we're seeing I, I'm seeing a change. I think I think Oregonians are tired. I know Montanans are, I think, and Idahoans and Washingtonians of the fires. And it, it, it's not it was never like this 10 years ago. And this is not climate change. I'm sorry if any of you people out there want to say that no. you're crazy. 
nope. this is mismanagement of the forest and people are tired of it. And I think they're starting to rebel a little bit. Yes, I do too. And it's absolutely true. So you, if you go talk to the department of forestry in Idaho, the department of forestry in Montana who do manage their, their forests, they think that the modeling that Oregon, the ODF is doing is absolutely absurd. They, they actually can't even believe it. They literally can't even believe it. Uh. So uh, it's, it's crazy. So what people can do is um, contact me, contact me. I will give you uh, points that you can talk on. Uh, I can give you all the facts and figures, everything. You know what though? What I will give you is uh, the, the email address of the board of forestry, all of the board of forestry um, board members, emails address, ODFs, uh, top people, uh, their emails, because all the facts and figures, they already know it. What, what really has impacted them is the actual stories from the right. people, their hearts, what they've done, why they love getting up at four o'clock in the morning when it's snowing outside to go into the woods. How do they raise their kids? You know, right. these are generational jobs. People don't just wake up in the morning and go, oh, I want to be a logger today. Oh, I right. want to, I want to pull green chain today. No, right. they're generational jobs and they're family wage jobs. So, and, and without them, how, how are you going to build homes? Right. You know, and, and, and how are you going to take care of that? Um, it's, it's just crazy. So Jen Hammaker, O-N-R-I, and Jen, you can go in there and put your email in the comment section okay. um, in, in, on, on YouTube or one of those. And because um, this won't be posted to Facebook till tomorrow because I'm a very, very bad boy. Okay. <laughs> and I, I have been, I am, I'm in the Facebook punishment land for the next 49 days. <laughs> so I can, so I can post this, this will get posted tonight or tomorrow on my page and then you can see it and you can post it there, but I can't do live because I'm just a 63 year old delinquent. Right, <laughs> Rick, and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you helping me get the word out about this HCP. We have a little bit of time. Um, they are supposed to be getting a uh, the draft EIS uh, back into the public hands in June. They're supposed to vote to either uh, approve this or reject this HCP in September or no, in August. Uh, which is really scary because that's not very much time. And if no. they're going to release it in June and we only have until August to figure it out and there's 1800 pages, uh, I'm really scared about this. So yeah. I really want people to start paying attention. This impacts two thirds of our state of for state forests. And what it really does is it impacts the, the counties that rely on those funds, those harvest timber uh, revenue. Right. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And, and you guys can also catch her because real soon, I'm going to be teaching her how to do her own podcast because she's got so much information. You guys can go find out all the stuff you need to know without me. <laughs> you don't need me. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye, Jen. Okay. So this is the rubber hits the road kind of thing, guys. Um, this, is, this is not one of those things. Oh, that's sad. And then you turn and walk away. This is your state. This is your state. And it's not right what they're doing. And I know, I just of myself, I know of several mills who right now will be down, will be gone. And they're already looking at other states, other places to go. And, and unfortunately for, and, and that's just what they have to do to survive. But unfortunately for their employees, 
They can't just up. You think you think a lot of Oregonians left because of your dark time policies and some of the bullshit that's going on in Oregon. People like, um, oh yeah, me. Well, you wait till people have to leave because they can't make a living in your state because they don't work in high tech and and they, they work at those good old jobs and and feeding you and clothing you and housing you. Um, what are you going to do without them? Just so you know, lumber doesn't grow at Home Depot. That's not where it grows. It doesn't grow there. You can't, you can't, Home Depot, eggs don't, they come out of a chicken's ass. They don't come out of a carton. Okay. Milk comes out of an udder, which is like a teat on an animal. It doesn't come in a jar or a carton. And despite what you know, Almonds don't have milk, so there's no such thing as almond milk. Have you ever tried to milk an almond? They have the smallest little teat you will ever find, and it is really hard. So you need to figure out where your food comes from and where your livelihood comes from, because if you don't, this is going to destroy you. Um, I, I, I'm not kidding. So anyway, that's, uh, we're going to be telling the story about the truth about timber um, in a new project I'm going to be working on. And uh, you're going you're gonna to learn I, I had a young man, I was working on a project for, for a timber guy, uh, doing a story about him and uh, went to a kid, good photographer, and said, yeah, this is what it's about. And he goes, no, I don't do things with the timber industry. I'm like, what? No, they're destroying our land. I said, what do you know about, about timber and the history and, and what they do for the land? And yeah, I mean, just like every industry in the past, there were mistakes made. Uh, people came in like big companies but then there were other companies I could tell you. I wonder if I could tell that story. God, I should tell that story. No, I probably can't tell that story. But I, I know of a lumber baron who came in here and saw what some of the big companies in the South were doing back in the 20s and 30s. And this person had this wild idea. Hey, what if we just bought up all that land and replanted it? And then we'll, we'll produce more timber. This is long before the Forest Practices Act. So this lumber baron went out there bought a bunch of acreage that this company was just going to take the timber and leave. And they did. And this guy started planting timber. And now 80 years later, it's a lush, beautiful place for animals to live and for people to harvest timber and um, for waterfalls to flow and rivers to flow because he had an idea. And those are the people that you think you don't like because you have no idea that people even did that. So I hope we ruffle some feathers. And, uh, but, but the bottom line is, it's your state. It's your forest. And you're the ones, the only people that can fight for it. I can't do it for you. Jen can give you information, but she can't do it for you. She's going to do her part. But Oregonians, you can't be apathetic anymore. <laughs> your leaders are... are <laughs> they're screwing you and you've got to take a stand and stop it. Now, if you don't agree with me and you think there's something different going on, good. That's fine. I, I welcome, but at least be involved in the conversation and don't tell us to be quiet because it doesn't fit your narrative because that doesn't ever work for me ever. So share this on your page so other people will see it because as I told you, Facebook is, I am a very, 
bad, bad host. In fact, you shouldn't even be, be here. I am, am horrible. Um, here's, here's another topic we're going to go through. I, one of our sponsors tonight is uh, Albert Taylor, uh, Endless Possibilities. And they do so much for people in the, the disability community. And I talked to Mary Thompson, uh, who works over there. And this is just a really short little minute and a half interview, but I want you to listen to what she's saying because I think you'll learn something from it. What do you hope for Albert Taylor? I want to see it continue to grow. I want to see it be more involved in the community now that COVID's kind of, you know, dying down to help with those educational moments for people. I just, I want to see Albert Taylor continue to do what it's doing. And that is to be person-centered and to be here for the people that we support. I think if we had, if we picked out a different topic and just built a little, just an interview. And even if you had a client with you and we picked out one topic, like don't bend down when you see someone, have somebody in a wheelchair, explain that. We make a one minute to one in a 30 or something. And we throw that out there. Um, that would be such a, a, I think there'd be a lot of people going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, absolutely. I can honestly think of a couple of people who probably would enjoy doing a quick interview to talk about that because they experience it. So do you think now post COVID that people with different abilities might be our way back to sanity or acceptance or caring about one another, um, getting past the division because I do. People People with different abilities don't really understand divisiveness, do they? Oh, no, not at all. And I do. I think that they have a lot more to offer than they're given credit for. So how, how would you guys like that? Like um, Albert Taylor is one of our clients. They're going to be for the next year again. They're signing up again. What if we did like a series of short little videos just to show you things like when you see someone in a wheelchair, you don't bend down. Um, when you see someone with a disability, you don't have to talk loud because they're not deaf. Um, you know, little things like that that could make the world a little more. We talk so much about inclusiveness. Um, why don't we let the people with the different abilities show us how to be inclusive? That's kind of how I think it should be. So you're going to be seeing a lot more of that coming up on Get Real with Rick Dancer. All right. I thank you for your, your watching. Uh, we, we've gone for 42 minutes. Uh, so share it on your page. And uh, I will talk to you tomorrow night. Uh, we got Bill London coming. Or is that tomorrow night? Oh, no, tomorrow. Future Farmers of America are really getting big in Montana. And we're going to go to Townsend, Montana. That's where I live, to the high school. I'm going to go over there, talk to a bunch of kids, because this is um, FFA Ag Week. Uh, they're driving their tractors to school tomorrow. And I'm going to go down there, talk with them. And then tomorrow night, we'll have their instructor on talking about the importance of agriculture in Montana, the importance of agriculture in your life. Um, it's kind of a theme going here between Jen and uh, 4A, or FFA. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, bye-bye.